Welcome back to the Metric Stack Podcast. Today, we're joined by Alaman Malik, the head of finance at Posh Technologies, a company on a mission to bring better digital banking experiences to every financial institution. Prior to Posh, he was head of finance at Rewind. Alaman is also an investor and diligence committee member for Fog Ventures, a member of the Operations Guild, and a founding member of the F-Suite, a community of high-growth finance ex- executives. I'm joined by my colleague, Lauren Thibodeau, and my name is Alan Villet. Alaman, we're thrilled to have you today. It's great to be here. I love metrics, so this is just the stars aligning. Fantastic. Well, so do we, and we're excited to talk to you about bookings today. And before we get into any of the nitty-gritty, love for you just to set the stage. What context should we have in mind as we start the conversation about bookings? Yeah, no, no, it's a great way to, to start. Bookings is... In my opinion, one of the most important metrics, the board cares about it, executive teams should care about it, sales team cares about it, finance teams care about it. And it is really the most top line metric to indicate forward-looking growth at a company. So I'm, I'm going to pause there because um, bookings to me seems less important than revenue because revenue is hard. It's recognized. And when you say this is one of the most important top line metric, can you really define it crystal clear? Or is this one of these metrics that has a little bit of gray area? Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's unpack it a bit further because it's totally different from recognized revenue. Uh, bookings is really an indication of sales velocity. In my, from my perspective, it is a signed slash executed contract with a customer that is uh, committed to spend with you on your products and services. So does not mean, you know, in terms of revenue recognition, does not mean you're actually delivering it yet or it's in service or there's, we've just agreed that we will service you and you will pay us for this agreed upon amount. And so for, for me, when I look at bookings, uh, there's a balance. Like if you're if you're going crazy on bookings, but you're not recognizing it, depending on the different business, sometimes it takes time to go live with the booking and execute on that contract. Sometimes there's some customization. Sometimes it's not too fast. And sometimes it comes from new customers, existing customers. There's lots of different aspects uh, that that tie under that go into bookings between recognized revenue. And so it's it's very different, yeah, from recognized revenue because it may it doesn't actually ne- necessarily mean you've earned it. It just means like you're selling it and you're getting contracts to the door. Customers are willing to spend and agree, but you still have to deliver the service. So, having said that, does that mean that bookings is usually a metric that lends itself more to enterprise or longer sales cycles than to an SMB or volume based business? Yeah, I would agree with you. And in some cases on the smaller, on the SMB side, down market, you can sometimes get an annual contract, an annual commitment. You can, if there's a usage-based aspect to it, you can get a commitment to spend a certain amount, a minimum commitment, if you will. And if they surpass that, uh, the, the difference will be invoiced at the end of it. So yeah, like you can you can do it in SMB, but it is more broadly used in, in mid-market enterprise. Okay. And are there, you mentioned a couple of examples where there's implementation or there's customization. Are there companies more than others that should pay extra special attention to bookings? And if so, who? Yeah. So uh, I think Alan nailed it, you know, like companies where, companies where, yeah, like on those, on that professional services implementation piece, you have longer sales cycle. And usually uh, if you're selling at that deal size, the technology requires some level of configuration or customization, takes time to put into place. 
And so what happens is, and we'll unpack this further, but at Posh, right? We actually deal with that. We are able to get signed bookings through the door, uh, but, but then we have a service platform. We have to get customers live because there's an aspect of configuration and customization that has to be done with each client. They have their own specifications that our client solutions team puts together. And so it, what happens is uh, for companies that have that implementation, you have to plan for headcount and capacity and make sure it's falling within your expected timeframe of what you've actually agreed to the customer, your SLA, your service level agreement, uh, the estimated time of when the contract begins and the subscription time, because it's expected to go live by then. So all those pieces really play a part for companies that are more upmarket that have to put the have a professional service or implementation are and that have to do some level of configuration or customization. So really those businesses versus like a traditional SaaS business uh, that's you know an SMB, it's self-serve even and, and it can get and it can get going. Some of them may be looking just for an annual subscription for discounts. Some of them may be wanting to commit on usage. Uh, this, you know, this applies to even companies spending on AWS or Google Cloud. You can do a longer term uh, contract if you're willing to commit to a certain spend. So, uh, really, on the on that on that lens, uh, I I find it even more applicable and important for companies that have professional services and application arms. So, I mean, as with any forward-looking metric, there's always risk, and I know from my own experience, you know, whenever I'm looking at a company's books. Um, Bookings always seems really rosy. And how should an investor or somebody looking at a business or, or you know, the leadership team, how, you, how, how should you approach bookings knowing that there is risk, this is forward-looking, this isn't fact yet? How you, you know, or do you discount it? How do you, how do you take that into consideration? Yeah, so I like to look at both bookings or committed annual recurring revenue because bookings does translate into a committed annual recurring revenue. And you should, com- you should compare that committed annual recurring revenue number to actual revenue recurring, uh, actual annual recurring revenue or live annual recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of like good examples. You know, the Toast memo is public uh, by Best and Revenge Partners, where they talk a lot about this piece where they have uh, a lot of committed annual recurring revenues. They're looking at deploying uh, their technology across different restaurants and they have a level of that's live. And so you should look at the historical in my opinion, sort of the quarterly breakdown to see, okay, the bookings is there, but you should really compare that with what's live. And are you are you able to keep a ratio? Is a live ARR about 50% of your bookings consistently? That means your sales velocity is matching how your implementation cycles, right? And so from, from my perspective, if, you, if it's suddenly 20% uh, live ARR to bookings, you're selling way too fast. You may risk cancellation. You may risk someone coming to you, a client coming to you being like, you said you were going to start, like, this is not what we agreed to. We want a discount or we want to cancel. We're going to go with another vendor. And so that's, the, you're totally right. It can be rosy and it should not be looked at in isolation. It can really throw you off. So I like to look at, at the actual live recurring annual recurring revenue as a way for uh, sanity checking the, the committed annual recurring revenue so that, so that there's some consistency so that we know that there's a, a level of service delivery that's actually happening on top of the sales velocity. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, you've called out a couple of examples. Have you seen anyone either do a fantastic job of this and what does that look like? Or have you seen someone really botch it? <laughs> How can you really fall into, you know, traps? What are the common traps with booking? Yeah, no. So no, it's a great question. So I, I, I really got to give a shout out to our company here. We're being very intentional 
about how we approach uh, bookings and balance it with getting ARR live because we have uh, we have a ton of opportunities. We have a ton of pipeline uh, that we know we can tackle. And again, you can sign, sign, but it touches on really uh, what I was saying before. If you don't have, if we have an implementation arm, so if our client engineering team, our client success managers, our project managers are fully capped for weeks, for months even, and now you have all of this ARR that's waiting to get uh, live beyond historical levels, you're going to run into trouble. Like they're, they're, they're not going to be happy or they're going to demand a discount or they're going to uh, want to cancel or they're not going to believe you. Um, you know, usually if you're able to get the contract and what we actually do is try and start with the product line that is easiest to implement so we can get something through the door and then the more complex. So for us at Posh, we have a, it's, an, it's a conversational AI company that has different chatbots. So we have a website bot, we have a digital banking bot that, uh, that's after you've authenticated yourself on the banking portal. And then we have a voice product. And so for example, that voice product requires a lot of configuration and customization. And so, but the website bot is the easiest one to get live. And so for us, you know, if you start to put it all of them together, uh, uh, you know, you're putting even more months of implementation. So it's like, okay, we want, we want to start the relationship. We want to get them happy. Let's put something through the door quickly because we know they'll expand. We know if they like it and, and we get the service delivery right the first time. There will be expansion, that dollar retention increase, all those good things happen. So I think, you know, for me, that, that that's the the start of a new customer relationship. You like the you, you booked it and you got to deliver it, even if it's just one product line to start, one item to start. Toast is another good example. I I really think that, you know, between their S1 or even the Bessemer memo, um, they've done a good job as well. Like I kind of look at that and like that's some good indicators for us to even follow on how they do it because uh you, you you can you can sell so fast and and that's great. You have a really high performing sales team, but you are not setting your CS or implementation teams up for success if that happens. So that's where bookings can go wrong. Like you really need to pay attention that uh, and you need to quantify like that backlog, if you will, in a certain way. Because I really think about it from okay, bookings is coming in different forms: new customers, existing customers. Those existing customers are either expansion through cross-sell, expansion through upsell, even maybe downgrades if they don't need everything. And then you have renewals and then you have straight up cancellation. But within booking is like you're really touching uh, this, these new existing customers. And okay, so of all the new or existing customers that are cross-sells, new product line, okay, how does that translate into uh, months, dollars, and people of backlog? Like that really has to be quantified. And, and so it's interesting because, you know, like at the bookings, salespeople are getting quota. They're, they're, uh, we're, we're showing a lot of forward indicating growth. We're showing year over year growth. But again, it's, you know, if you're seeing the live error suffer, or if your services backlog is going to continue to add up and not get things live. Is there, so you made me think of something where the salespeople are getting comped on the bookings. Is it, is it commonplace to structure where the first recognized revenue gets built into that comp model? Yeah, the first, yeah. So, uh, there's a couple of ways to approach this. Uh, so I've seen it as, um, on the land, on, on the actual signing, compensating on that amount. And, and sometimes we can leave windows open. So, so let me start on that piece because if you're doing a subscription based product or a committed amount, you'll comp them. Some companies, what they'll do is, okay, well, if it's a usage based product, uh, in the first three months, like if we're on a quarterly cycle, we book them next quarter, we'll pay out the commission. Uh, or in three months from now, we'll pay out the commission. We'll look at the actual usage. 
was it above the minimum commitment? And if it was, then we'll credit the salesperson for that. Um, now, the other piece afterwards, so if you land them and then one month later or two months later or four months later, you sell them something. Uh, generally speaking, there's, it's still, you know, the AE, the account executive or the salesperson usually uh, is the one who landed the deal and got it through the door um, and should absolutely be credited for getting that relationship in. And then the customer success manager is the one who will sometimes, uh, who will take the handoff and, and uh, work on renewals and upsells. Uh, and so really in, in, from my perspective, in the first three, six, even nine months, you have, you have a decelerated level of, of effort from the salesperson, because at that point, this customer success person is usually taking on more of the effort. Uh, and so like one way to think about it is, okay, we'll credit them for in the first three months, we'll give them hundred percent credit because it's such a, it's such a, a quick handoff. Uh, or it, it's it's such a quick uh, upsell or cross sell right after landing. In the next three months, it's going to be two thirds, and then the rest goes to the customer service person because they're likely involved. And then, yeah, it, re- it really is sort of a, a balance, right, between you know the salesperson that gets the booking, but the booking is forward looking and riskier, right, to the success person who actually makes sure that the revenue is going to come in and that they deliver. So those two teams have really got to work well together. That's right. And Alan, actually, one other piece I'll say, so this, this is something like even actually we're moving towards, uh, which is half of the signed ARR. Pay, uh, so uh, uh, what, what's actually signed, we give half of it uh, on, uh, on signature and then half of it after it goes live. Now you have this balanced way of uh, incenting salespeople to ensure they're getting good quality deals. And at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. The client success team as confidence that we can get it live. And so yeah, I mean, their I, I, compensation is dependent on it. Going. I think that's a really, that's really good. I mean, there's a couple of, a couple of really good nuggets in there. So, you know, like make sure that there's some cash on the table, right? Like if it's just pure booking and promises, like your risk factors, you know, the, the alarm bell should be going off. So, you know, get something committed early on cash in the door. And then I think the other thing was like, you want to, you want to minimize that point where you can start recognizing it. So what is the first thing that you can actually deliver and say, Hey, you know, customer, we've got something going here, you know, you're seeing value and we can start recognizing that revenue. Let me, let me touch on something else. You interchanged the word bookings and revenue and ARR. Now there's nothing inherently subscription-based about bookings, but what is sort of for the subscription economy, for the subscription-based company, what is the um, similar metric that they're looking at? I've heard committed MRR or committed ARR versus ARR. You know, is that how we should be thinking about it? Yeah, I know, Alan, that's a fantastic question. It's good like to get crystal clear, really, because bookings has subscription bookings and service bookings to it. And uh, on the service booking side, to me, all the bookings, service subscription bookings goes towards a committed annual recurring revenue or committed monthly recurring revenue amount. The services are completely separate. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, for different companies, it's to break even on the implementation to pay for the, the implementation team. It's really separate. Uh, like it doesn't get valued by investors, right? Like it's not really what it is. It's, it, it's not for that purpose. Uh, but it's very important to actually get everything live, right? Uh, now the way we should think about it is bookings subscription bookings, because it's a lot of, you know, we track it all. Like what's the total bookings? What part of it is subscription? Usually the majority, how much of that 
subscription is new and existing. So it breaks down, but I like to think about subscription bookings related to committed annual recurring revenue or committed monthly premium revenue. Okay. You've mentioned a number of metrics that are interrelated here, and you even touched on shrinking the time as did you, Alan, shrinking the time when customers can start using this. Are there any other metrics that pair well here, like an, like a fine wine with a great dinner? Yeah, yeah. No, there's a couple. I mean, really, this is the realm, like CEOs, CROs, CFOs, boards, like everyone should really care about this. But again, you have to look at beyond just the bookings number. So to me, from like a sales lens, okay, well, well what's our average deal size? What's our quota attainment per rep? Uh, and, and let me touch on that because this, this bookings all contributes to the calculation of those numbers and to the performance of those metrics. Average deal size is important because, okay, uh, are we landing, are we increasing it because new deals that we're bringing in through the door are being sold at higher? And why? Because we've added more features. We're executing on our product roadmap faster than we expected. Um, or is it coming from existing customers? If we're looking at average revenue per customer, and it's, it's, it's because they're adding more, more cross selling, they're adding more products lines. So that's a really important metric as it relates to bookings, because you can actually get the count of how much is new, how much is existing, how much is of that existing is cross sell versus, uh, upsell. Um, and really the average deal size is such a big leader for any SaaS tech company because it, it affords you more buffer to spend on sales and marketing to acquire customers. And then the other piece I would say is, you know, the quota team, like this is, this is such an important part for a sales led organization. But even if you're, even if you're a, a, a lower lower SMB, lower market SMB, I, I, like I, it still really applies on on the quota team because uh, even even on self serve product like growth, you, you're starting to see inside salespeople. You're starting to see people come in and and try and close these deals if they believe that there's higher value to it. And so uh, that quota team, like the bookies number. When you're, when you're giving a salesperson their quota, that's the bookies number they're trying to, right? And, you know, even the customer success person, sometimes they're tied to a renewal dollar figure or a retention percentage that they have to hit. Usually on the story, they're, you know, their comp can vary 70, 30, 80, 20 base and variable. And so, uh, these are very important things that are all based on bookings. Like it all commissions are paid out based on bookings. And so, uh, for me, the quota team is important because you know, uh, you'll see industry averages is quota attainment of 70, 80%. Usually you want to plan to be able to hit 80% of your number. And so, okay, if you're telling, if you're, if we just use an example of, okay, uh, we're going to pay a, a enterprise account executive, uh, 200,000 on target earnings, meaning a hundred thousand of it is, is base salary, a hundred thousand of it is commission. Uh, best practices would say you want to have, uh, 10 times the commission as their target. So million dollars of bookings that they have to get uh, in a year. And so uh, that number, like you have to look at your historical bookings, how fast it's growing, is your average deal size? Because all that then allows you to decide, okay, is this the right number? Can we actually hire sales up, ramp them up and have confidence that they're going to hit this number? Uh, because if we have average deal size increasing or we know that uh, landing it, they're going to expand it in three months later and the account executive gets credit for that. All of those play into whether you're going to be able to run a high-performing sales team. So I really think that like, and, and then, you know, I, I won't dive deeper into this, but this relates to then pipeline and, and what you can expect out of that. But really for me, like the average deal size you, you get out of bookings, how many new logos, how many existing logos, your net dollar retention, are you able to increase that by 
uh, uh, getting more bookings from existing customers. And then really this quota attainment, like your basic uh, uh, sales compensation plans and client success, customer success, client compensation plans off of this bookings number, whether it's new, existing renewals, uh, and are they able to hit quota? Generally, if they're not hitting quota, they lose confidence. They might, they're probably going to leave to go somewhere where it's easier to sell or it's a better product. So those are really important metrics that all kind of feed into this. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. A, a lot of companies, a lot of SaaS companies are looking at usage-based pricing models these days as well. And again, just the same way that, you know, bookings lends itself a little bit more to larger deals, more predicted deal sizes. Is there a, is there a, a, a dissonance between selling or talking about bookings when you're selling a usage-based pricing model? Because you don't know there's flexibility in that. How do you, you know, and I, I know you can sort of commit bucket sizes and stuff like that. How, how would you think about that? Yeah, no, no, honestly, it's a fantastic question. We didn't deal with it at my last company. I rewind as much uh, like a commitment and, and we had some usage aspect, but we, we definitely deal with that posh here because on our voice products, we have a minimum contract. So the way our contracts work, we uh, sign a, a minimum commitment with the customer or a lower amount uh, plus a usage aspect of it. And we charge the higher of. Uh, and the usage aspect is based on the number of calls times per minute fee. And so uh, what's interesting is we don't know. Uh, and for us, we are supporting contact centers, support centers. And so based on the call volume, based on the average number of uh, the, the, the total number of chats times the average chat duration, like you start to you start to see how much the usage fluctuates. And so for us, uh, we we will make it. We will make an estimate. We have, we have our base price. That's always the minimum commitment for that voice product. But we will make a base estimate of okay, what do we think the usage is going to be based on a couple of different inputs? And then, um, and what's interesting is we're still early uh, in our cycle. And and I mean, I'm even starting to see like okay, let's look at cohort patterns or let's look at uh, because it's the hindsight of the data if you've tracked it well is being able to see uh, afterwards whether there's some level of predictability, seasonality, all those things. Um, is it on a customer basis? Is it on an industry basis? For us, for financial institutions, does it vary by the number of the assets under management for different institutions, the member size, you know, a low, less members versus more members? So all those things um, are things are ways you can think about. Okay, how does those drive the use? Uh, and so yeah, so I think it's it's important. And for us, um, we we like to credit on landing the deal at the minimum agreement. I actually really like how we structured, and I think. Even though we're early in our maturity of thinking about pricing iteration, this is good because it gives us the flexibility to land the deal and grow over time with retention, on our net dollar retention, and more usage. Like we're tied to the customer in that sense. We're saving you more dollars by getting more of your calls, uh, by taking more of your inbound calls that are coming in, and ultimately, you know, we're also uh, winning ourselves because we're able to get credit for that usage. Love this. You just ran a, a mini clinic there on segmenting your data and getting educated by tracking it and then looking back and finding patterns. So love that. Awesome. Um, as we kind of wind down here, are there any final words of advice that you would offer folks on booking? Yeah, no, for sure. So it's interesting because uh, surprisingly, I think uh, companies vary. And and if you're not paying attention to it, you need to pay attention to it. Like it's And, and what I'll say is, and not and if you think you're paying attention to it, you probably need to go deeper. It's got to be set up super well in your CRM. You really, you know, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot, you have to get very focused on ensuring that it's right. Like that becomes your source of truth for invoicing, for revenue, for commissions. Uh, again, 
Alan nailed it. Like it can be rosy, but the other piece is making sure you're looking at the live. Like it's two parts. The equation. Can you? Can you? Do you have the sales velocity? Can you continue to increase bookings? Are you tracking that over time? Uh, can you see whether average deal size are increasing? Whether it's coming from new existing? There's a lot of data that I've seen where they don't segment that, and so you don't actually know where your contribution of revenue is coming, where you're winning the most. Which which product line, or is it cross sells, or is it upsells? Um, who's your biggest customer, and why? How do they how do they change year over year? You need the bookings data organized to be able to track that. And then the other piece are you are you actually delivering? Don't get lost. Don't get rosy. There is absolutely a risk factor that comes with the bookings. You may be nailing it, but how much of it can you get live? How much of it can you implement? And can you keep with your service delivery? So I think it's it's super important. And I, I think for uh, you know again I say it, like this is really cross functional. Like you're 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 like I would expect everybody executive team to be. It's like one of the first slides that the board looks at uh, for you know, if it's not ARR, it's going to be a committed ARR. So it's going to be one of the first slides they look at. So um, start as soon as possible. Start thinking about the segmenting. Start thinking about the different dimensions, whether it's an SMB or a mid-market uh, or an enterprise, it, whether it's a new customer or existing customer. Don't stop there. If it's an existing customer, is it a cross-sell? Is it a upsell? Um, what product line? These should all be able to get defined and, and tracked. So that you can understand when you're planning or forecasting the year after, which is where I spend a lot of my time as a finance person, where we win and how we can win and where we invest. So all of this feeds into really like how you can grow, how you can grow as fast as you can as, as business floor, grow responsibly if you're thinking about what makes sense as target. So that's what I leave with. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I think don't shy away from it. It's, it's a metric that can truly give you, uh, one of the most important metrics that can truly give you some visibility in what's happening in business. Alevin Malik, everybody, head of finance for Posh Technologies on the metric bookings, clearly one of the most universally applicable leading velocity indicators. So you heard it here, start tracking it, start segmenting it, start validating it with other metrics. Uh, Alevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Lauren. It was great. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.